I uh, want to bring you up to speed. We are in a series. We just started it last week, so if you weren't here last week, don't worry. I'll kind of give you a real quick recap. And this is a series called Choosing Breakthrough. And, and it's a very intentional title to the series. And, and I want to kind of give you the background theologically of, of where, where we are with this. See, we believe, and the Word of God teaches, that when you become a follower of Jesus, and what does that mean? That moment that you humble yourself, and you say, God, I am a sinner. I've sinned against you, and the only way that I can be saved is through Jesus and through what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection, which proves his authority. God, I am 100% dependent upon you. Would you come, and would you forgive me, and would you empower me to live for you? That something happens in that moment, and I don't want to explain to you exactly what the Bible says happens in that moment. First of all, the Bible uses a great big word. Paul is mainly the culprit for using this great big word, is you are justified. In that moment that you ask Jesus to come into your life, you are justified. What that means is that your legal stance before God, who is perfectly just, is that as you receive the forgiveness of Jesus, it is just as if you never sinned. If God looks at you and he doesn't see your sin, he now sees the righteousness of Christ. That's pretty awesome, right? Some of you are excited about that. That's okay. Hopefully we'll get the whole room involved in a minute. And so the second thing that happens to you in that moment, positionally before God, is that you no longer are an outsider to the kingdom of God and to the purposes of God. You are now adopted into his family, and you become a son, you become a daughter of God, and not only that, you become an heir of God as well, which means you have all the rights and privileges of his kingdom. In that moment... That's what happens. The third thing that the Bible teaches that happens in that moment is that the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son, that he now takes up residency inside of you, that as you walk around and you do your thing and you go to work and you go to the grocery store and you go to school and whatever you do, that the Holy Spirit of God is now dwelling inside of you. Like, we don't even get, I mean, we can't even begin to unpack that and imagine all the implications of what that means. Okay, so having said all that, those are all things that the Bible teaches that happens inside of us. Here's the problem. The problem is, just because Jesus is in my heart doesn't mean that Grandpa is no longer in my bones. Okay? All the things that I've carried around with me up until the point that I become a follower of Jesus, that stuff I'm still carrying around with me. Okay? It's not as if I become a follower of Jesus and now all of my urges go away, all my cravings go away, all the, the, the tendencies that I had go away, all the hurt instantly disappears and, and all the work that goes into working through those hurts. Like, it, I still have all that stuff going on. And so the Bible talks about something called sanctification. And sanctification is, and this is why we named our church this, it's a journey. So in a moment I'm justified, but over the course of a lifetime I'm sanctified, which means daily I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. I'm beginning to develop his character and his nature, and I'm starting to look more and more like him, right? Now sanctification is a choice, it doesn't just happen to you. And a lot of, especially in American Christianity, like we want, we want breakthrough just to happen. But by and large, a majority of the time, breakthrough is a result of decisions and choices that we make. 
And so what we're doing in this series is basically asking the question, what are the choices and decisions that we need to start making in order to experience breakthrough? Because I don't know about you, I need some breakthrough. I've got places in my life I need God to break through, right? And so last week, the first choice, and and these all build on top of each other, and they seem really simple, but when you dig into them, you find that maybe they're a little bit more difficult than what they look like on the surface. The first choice is the humility choice. And the humility choice can really be boiled down to two words, I can't. Now you go, you took a whole sermon to talk about that? Yeah, because we try to walk around, we walk around acting like I can. I've got this. I'm good. I don't need your help. I, I, I'll help you, but I don't need your help, right? Like the, the humility choice is I don't have this under control. That in and of myself, I can't. I don't have what it takes. I'm powerless. I'm helpless. God, I've got to have you, right? This is a humility choice. And you can unpack, you can go back online and, and listen to the whole sermon. But basically, what happens is because we, we don't make that humility choice, we don't want to think about our sins, and so we don't want to think about the hurts that have happened to us at the hands of other people or the words that have been spoken over us. We don't want to deal with that kind of stuff, so we try to sweep it away and act like, I'm good, I don't have any problems, but there's still this there's still this void inside of us. There's still this need for comfort. There's this need for escape. And so even though I'm a follower of Jesus, because I haven't dealt with the humility choice, what happens is I try to find comfort and I try to find to escape in other means. And I'm going to read you a list, and I imagine that somewhere in this list you're going to want to say out loud, and I don't want you to say it out loud, you're going to want to say, ouch. Because one of these is probably going to be your world and the natural proclivity that you have for trying to find comfort and escape because we don't deal with it the right way. Okay, so here, here, I'll, 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 let me get to the list. Food. <laughs> I, I don't just eat to eat. I eat in order to get comfort. You know, there's a difference, right? When, when, I, when I'm trying to find a way of escape, food becomes my way of escape. Food becomes my comfort. It becomes my hope. For some of you, it's alcohol. And so because I don't feel comfortable with life and I need, I just need to take the edge off. You know, like whatever it is, like I go to, I, go, I get out that glass and I get out the ice and I get out that drink and, and, and as I drink, slowly I, the, the edge goes off and, and now I can deal more with what's going on. And usually the issue is it then takes another drink and then it takes another drink. Maybe for you it's work. And for you, it's, it, when I achieve something, I feel better about myself. And so I'm working, and the problem is I, I need more achievement to feel better. So I, I, there's never like the place where I go, oh, I'm good. I've achieved enough. No, I've got to keep achieving more because there's this voice in the back of my head. Maybe for you it's gambling, and so anytime that life feels hopeless, you take a trip to Toledo and you go to the Hollywood casinos, or maybe you're online, and so there's this adrenaline rush that you feel, and in that moment, like it, 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 there's this escape, there's this comfort. Maybe for you it's anger. Some people, the way that they feel more comfortable about themselves is by making the people around them feel less comfortable about themselves. So there's control. 
You never say this out loud, but when, I'm ang- when, I, when I allow that anger to just be unleashed, I feel like I'm in control. I feel better about myself. Maybe for you it's shopping. And so you go out and, and you find something, and, or there's this, there's this thing that if I could just have this bigger, this better, this shinier, whatever it is, fill in the blank, that life will somehow be better for me. Many use sex as a way of escape. And not sex the way that God designed it, where it's to, where, but sexual satisfaction and fulfillment is to come through a marriage relationship of a husband and wife, but, but that, that, that sex is pornography, it's, outside, it's, it's engaging outside of my marriage, it's adultery, it's, it's fat, uh, uh, fantasy. It's, and so this is a way that I find escape. This is a way that I find hope. Maybe for you it's entertainment. Some of you are wondering, how long is this list? As long as it needs to be. For some, it's entertainment. And so I, I have this void. I, I'm looking for comfort. And so the way that I, the way that I comfort myself is I, I go home and I sit on the couch and I turn on Netflix and there I go. Just binge watch. Or, or you get out your phone and you go to YouTube and four hours later, you're still watching. And you started watching videos of one thing and you're on a whole other thing. Some of you right about now are going, you know what? I haven't said ouch to any of these things. This one's for you, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is I feel better about myself by comparing myself with other people, and we do this thing, remember Jesus was telling the story about a Pharisee who was praying, and this Pharisee's praying, and he's like, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like so-and-so. And so the way that I feel better about myself is I compare myself with others, and I, isn't it amazing how we compare, self-righteous people compare themselves always with people who are a few rungs down the ladder. I'm good. I'm okay, at least I'm not like, we could go on and on, right? The word that we're talking about here is escape, that we try to escape to a place of comfort. And, and, and so we use all these things, and I'll be honest, th- this list of things that I gave you, you will find comfort in those things. Man, I, could, I can eat a cheesecake, like I'm not talking about a slice of cheesecake, I can eat, and I will find, like, in, in those moments, and it's not just a singular moment, it's not just a second, like, in that time that I'm eating that, like, there's comfort, but can I tell you, it's not lasting. When I'm up at two in the morning, also downing Tums and all the other stuff, right? Like, like it, it, it's not, la- like, all these things on this list, they will satisfy you, but they won't satisfy you for long. And the problem with addiction is, I need more and more in order to even get the faintest bit of satisfaction that I had when I first started. It takes more. So we need something bigger. We need something greater. We need something more powerful. Our first choice that we talked about last week was a humility choice. The choice we're talking about today is the hope choice. And the hope choice, I would define it this way. I believe that I matter to God and that he has the power to rescue me, that he alone has the power to bring true comfort into my life. See, the passage we looked at last week was Romans chapter 7, and in Romans chapter 7, we have this classic uh, uh, Paul, where Paul is listing all these things, and, and he even at one point in the middle of this passage goes, I know that I sound like a crazy man, okay? I know that the way I'm talking, like, you should lock me up. But basically what he's saying, for three paragraphs, he goes on of saying, man, I know the things that I should do, and I know that they're right things to do, and that I ought to do them, I just don't do them. 
And I know the things that I shouldn't do and the things that I should stay away from and that they're wrong, but I just find myself gravitating in the middle of it. I go, what in the world? What am I doing doing this? Like, I know I'm not supposed to do this. And Paul just goes into this whole thing, and at the end of it, like the second to last verse of Romans chapter 7, he goes, what a wretched man I am. I need somebody to rescue me from this body of death. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated? I love that word dominated because that's how so many of us feel right now. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Like that's a humility choice, y'all. The humility choice is I can't, I'm wretched, I don't have what it takes, I need rescued and I need something that is outside of myself to rescue me. And the very next verse is the answer. Because what does he say next? Thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the humility choice is I can't, the hope choice is God can, and only God can. There's no other source. God will use other means. He will use other people. He will use other programs. He will use books. He will use all these things. But ultimately, I can't and only God can. This morning, the challenge is for us to focus our attention on God and not to focus on the habit or the hurt or the hang-up that has been the source of our attention for so long. See, what we do is we move in the direction of our focus. Anybody can tell you that. Any runner can tell you that. Any athlete can tell you. You move in the direction of your focus. So if I tell you right now that I want you to stop thinking about a green giraffe, okay, right now, I just want you all universally in this room, we're going to stop thinking about a green giraffe, okay? You got this? The count of three, we're all going to stop thinking about a green giraffe. No more green giraffes in your mind. No more imagery of the long neck and the spots, and maybe the spots are a lighter shade of green or whatever it is. We're just going to stop thinking about the long, you know, lanky legs. We're going to stop thinking about the, the ears, you know, those weird little ears that they have. We're going to stop thinking about green giraffes at the count of three, everybody in this room. One, two, three. Stop thinking. What are you thinking about? Stupid green giraffe. I've never thought about a green giraffe in my whole life. Dechant. It wasn't until this moment, and now all I can think about is this stupid green giraffe, right? Like, so what do I got to do? If I really want to stop thinking about this green giraffe, what do I got to start doing? I got to start thinking about other things. A purple rhinoceros, <laughs> right? I got to start thinking. And now as I start thinking, now, but what happens is when I've got this hurt that is deeply lodged inside of me, I'm so obsessed with it. When I've got this addiction, when I've got this habit, when I've got this whatever, I, it's, it, it consumes me, right? And this choice is all about the hope choice of saying, I'm going to choose to focus my attention on the hope of God. I'm going to choose to focus my attention on who God is. Specifically, I would encourage you to think about there's three things that you can hope in. The first one would be to hope in God's compassion. And by saying the hope of God's compassion, what I mean is to fix your mind on the compassion of God. And some of this, this means reorient, reorienting our theology. 
Some of you have grown up in churches or you've grown up in traditions where when you think about God, and some of you didn't even grow up in church, but maybe through TV or media or because you're being around other Christians, like when you think about God, you think that God is like this cosmic being up in the sky just waiting for you to mess up in the slightest way, and he has this great big universal cosmic baseball bat that he's just waiting to beat you over the head with. I saw that. You think you can get away with that? And so this is our image, this is our perception of God. Some of you seriously, like maybe you wouldn't, you know, I'm maybe exaggerating slightly, but you'd say, yeah, that's pretty much how I've always thought about God my whole life. And the the picture that we have of God is this God who is just, his nature, his bent is that he wants to condemn you. Literally, Christians who have been followers of Jesus for 30, 40 years, that this is the idea that they have of God. A God who is a condemning, mean, always in a bad mood, woke up on the wrong side of the bed, that this is, the, this is a God that, we, that follows us around. Now, some of, some of you actually, because this is the way you view God, as I speak, you're going to be like, you're heretical. I just want to give you some thoughts from the Word of God. I, I, we all love John 3.16, right? John 3, some of you are like, I don't know John 3.16. John 3.16, back in the day, anytime a field goal kicker would go to you know, kick an extra point or kick a field goal, you'd see the banner man. I always called him the banner man. The banner man would always be behind the field goal post with the big John 3.16 banner. Any of you old enough to remember that? Now they don't let them do it, right? There was actually a guy back in the 90s who wrote a song called Banner Man. It was awesome. I'll have to find it for you. But we know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son or his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will what? Have everlasting life, right? That's an awesome verse. We've preached many sermons from that verse. Do you know what the very next verse is? John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world. I think we need to put up some banners that say John 3, 17. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. The reason why he sent Jesus into the world is he, his bent, his nature, is he wants to save you. He wants to rescue you. He's a compassionate God. Paul put it this way in Romans 8, 34. He says, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Now, i got to back up for a second. I'm speaking to those who are followers of Jesus. If you've received the grace of God, if you've received the forgiveness of God, God's posture toward you is one not of condemning, but one of saying, I want to give you life. He sent Jesus to die for you. And look at the last part of Romans 8.34 that I just read. And he, Jesus, is, where's he at right now? He's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. Okay, think about that. So Jesus is now positionally, he's seated at the right hand of God. And what is he doing right now? He is pleading for us. Some translations will say he is interceding for us. The idea is, a, in the Greek, is this idea of a legal advocate. That Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father saying, I know Nick just blew it. But Nick belongs to me. I love him. He's received my grace. Father, would you just see my blood over Nick right now? Would you just see my grace over Nick right now? That Jesus, I mean, I'm not making this up. Am I making this up? 
That he is at the right hand of the Father, pleading and interceding and advocating for us. Now, here's a really crazy thing, because some of you are like, wait, this guy's just way too excited about this stuff this morning. I, okay. A couple verses before this, Paul talks about us getting to the place where we can't even pray because of the hurt or because of the hang-up or because of the grief or because of what's going on. He talks about us groaning, that we can't even, have you ever been there? Like, I don't, you can't even, you can't even articulate a prayer to God. You're just like in this place of just groaning. And Paul says that in our groaning, that the Holy Spirit, remember I said the Holy Spirit is in us. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit resides inside of you. That in your groaning, the Holy Spirit is actually interceding for you to the Father. So think about this. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He is pleading for you. He is interceding for you. The Holy Spirit is positionally inside of you. That's how Christ dwells in us. It's not he himself, but through his Spirit. His Spirit is dwelling inside of you, and his Spirit is actually interceding for you at the same time time i'm telling you if god is for you who can be against you like like stop focusing on the green giraffes and start focusing on the compassion of god rehearse in your mind the compassion of god some of you need to start and you have a note app on your phone if you have a fancy phone maybe some of you just have a notebook at home you do, you need to just start start writing down how has god shown compassion to you and in those moments where you all you can focus is on the green giraffes man go to that place start no god has done this god has shown compassion to me here here's a verse that i copied and pasted from my bible app and it talks about the compassion of god and i'm going to start focusing on the compassion of God because God cares about you David said this in Psalm 86 verse 15 he says but you O Lord are a God of what okay it's up on the screen so let's say this today together but you O Lord are a God of compassion and mercy this is God's natural bent this is a character of God that he, listen he, he doesn't just have a little bit of compassion well you talked me into it. Here's a buck. <laughs> Parents, right? Can you? Uh, okay, here's a dollar. Here's five dollars. As my kids get older and older, here's twenty dollars, right? Now, let, let, look, at the, look at the language it's being. You, O oh Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy. The idea in the Hebrew, he's full of compassion and mercy. An unending reservoir. It'll never expire. He never reaches the limit. He doesn't say, well, Kristen, just, she just used up the, all I had. Sorry, I don't have any left for you. He says, but you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry, and I love this, and filled. Again, it's that same idea, filled, fullness, and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. God is a loving Father. Some of you grew up in homes with fathers that were not loving, not compassionate, not patient. Some of you grew up with fathers that were abusive. Some of you, your dads were flat out just absent. They were nowhere to be found when you needed them most. Can I tell you, that's not our heavenly father. He's a perfect father. He loves you. He loves you. I love, I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.3. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of what? All Not just a little. All comfort. 
He's the source. If you're looking for comfort, he's the source. You're looking for escape, he's the source. You can go to him. You don't have to fix your mind on the green giraffes. He's the source. You need comfort today? Listen, we need to, as followers of Jesus, we need to focus our hearts and our minds on the hope of God's comfort, his compassion. Number two, and there's only three, by the way, okay? Some of you are looking at your watches going, how long is this guy going to go? Here's the second one, and we talk about this so much at Journey, I'm, I'm not going to belabor this one, but the second one is God's love. God's love. Another passage of scripture that we're really used to is Romans 3, 23, right? If you grew up in church, this is the first verse in the Romans road. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. That's all right. We'll explain it to you later. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Again, apart from Christ, I am nothing, I have nothing, I am broken, I am powerless, I am sinful, I am sin-stained and sin-covered. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. But look at the next verse. Again, sometimes we look at one verse and then we don't look at the next verse. Romans 3, 24, look at this, is powerful. Yet now, God in his gracious kindness, because this is his character, this is his bent, yet now God, he sees our sin, he sees our sin stained and sin covered, but God now in his gracious kindness declares us what? Again, for followers of Jesus in this room, God looks at you and he declares you not guilty. He has done this. He can't just arbitrarily do it. He does this. How? He has done this through Christ Jesus who has freed us by taking away our sins. And how did Jesus take away our sins? The cross. He willingly went to a cross. This wasn't something that was done to Jesus. This was a plan before the creation of the world. That Jesus went to the cross. He was tortured. He was beat. He was horrifically executed. To take upon himself the punishment that each one of us in this room deserves for ourselves. See, God doesn't just say, I love you. You've heard me say, if you've been around Journey, you've heard me say this so much. It's easy to just get used to, but think about this. God doesn't just say, I love you. We humans, like, we mess up love. I mess up love. Carrie will get mad at me because in one breath I'll say, I love tacos. And I turn to her and I say, I love you, babe. And she's like, it better be a different kind of love. <laughs> like, we're, we're so weird with love, aren't we? God, God isn't one who just says, I love you. And then when you need him the most, he's nowhere to be found. He's absent. He's out of the picture. No, 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 no. God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for you. Like he doesn't just say I love you, he has proved his love to you. See, when you find yourself obsessed with your hurt, with the addiction, with whatever it is in your life, man, get to the place of just saying, you know, in this moment I'm going to fix my eyes on God's hope, the hope of his compassion, the hope of his love. He really does love me. Here's the third thing would be the hope of God's power. The hope of God's power I've been a pastor now almost 23 years, and when I'm dealing with people that are going through this, there's usually several negative reactions that people have when they, when they hear this type of message. The first negative reaction is, Ken, thank you for the pep talk, you sound really energetic, all that. I'll just be honest with you, Ken. 
I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I don't have the strength to do whatever you're proposing that we need to do. I just don't have it in me anymore. Some of you in this room, you feel that way right now. Here's a second negative reaction. A second negative reaction is, Ken, thanks for the pep talk. I've done all this before. I've gone to church my whole life. I've prayed a hundred times. I've gone to altars. I've cried. I've read the books. I've memorized the verses. It doesn't work. I'm done. Can I just say to, to both of those negative reactions, you're reacting to something that is actually a falsehood because you're reacting to something, the belief that, it, that it's up to you to change. Both of those negative reactions come from thinking that it's all on my shoulders to change the situation, that somehow I've got to change my life for God. And I would point you to Isaiah chapter 40. In fact, I would tell you to swim in Isaiah chapter 40, meditate on Isaiah 40, read through Isaiah chapter 40. We don't have time to do it this morning. Some of you are like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 40, Isaiah is prophesying 700 years before Jesus, and and Isaiah 40 begins, I mean, the opening stands of Isaiah 40 is comfort, comfort for my people. Like the whole whole chapter is about comfort. There's so much richness in Isaiah chapter 40, but I want to come to near the end of it, and I want to read to you just a paragraph, and here here as I read this, what you're going to find is God talking about the kind of power that he wants to give to you and to your daily life. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to begin with verse 28, just a couple verses. He says, have you never heard or understood? And I love that because I read that and I go, oh, he's talking to me. I hear the Kendi Chan version, it's listen up, knuckleheads. Have you never heard or understand? Don't you know that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? He never grows faint or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. Look at verse 29. He gives power to those who are tired and worn out. Some of you in this room, you just need to own that verse right there. He gives power to those who are tired and worn out. He offers strength to the weak. Even youths will become exhausted and young men will give up. Young women will give up. Some of you are ready to give up. Verse 31 is the key. But those who wait on the Lord, I love this, Those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. New strength is key here. New strength, the idea in the Hebrew is it just keeps bubbling up. It's like the manna that the Israelites would find on the ground. Every day they would wake up and they would rub the sleep out of their eyes and there would be fresh new manna available for them. For some of you, you need to know there's new strength available for you today. And it's not your strength, it is the sole provision of God to you and for you. Those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. And I love this. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. It is not all on your shoulders. You've got to realize that God's power to change is God's power to change. It's not me changing. It's God changing me through his spirit. It's hoping in him. And I think the best way to understand this is to look at the word picture that Isaiah gives us right here in this passage. And, and before I get to what he says, I want to give a juxtaposition of an, an opposing picture. And the opposing picture would be the picture of a hummingbird. 
Have you ever really looked at a hummingbird? I never paid attention to hummingbirds, but Carrie like, is fascinated with hummingbirds. She's got hummingbird feeders, and so we'll sit in the front porch because that's how I get to be with my wife. I sit, sit and watch these creatures that I really have never given a rip about, and so I'm just telling you the truth, and so we're watching these, and I'll tell you, hummingbirds are mean little creatures. I, don't, I know people like to romanticize them. They're mean. Like Another one will come in, and they will like, I mean, try to knock the other one's head off, and what we're seeing right here is slow motion. Their wings are going at a crazy speed. But the problem is because they are in constant motion and they're going and they're going and they're going and they're going up and down and side to side, they can't get any higher than a house. And their average lifespan, like the longest that one of these little suckers will live, is about four years is their lifespan. I'm not against hummingbirds. You know, I'm just... Now, my animal, and if you've been in my office, you know I, lo- I love eagles. And this is the image that Isaiah gives us in Isaiah chapter 40, is an eagle. While hummingbirds can barely get above your house, eagles can soar up to 10,000 feet. And you'll notice the eagle, its wings are hardly even uh, uh, flapping, right? It just stretches out its wings and it soars. How does an eagle do this? God has designed the eagle's wings to catch the updraft of the wind. So it soars to these incredible heights as it flies. By the way, the average lifespan of an eagle is about 20 years. See, see the picture that Isaiah gives us is he's saying, hey, God, God has designed your soul to catch the updraft of his love. That, that my position is one of saying, God, I can't. I don't have what it takes. Listen, this isn't just for me. It's the situations I find myself in. I love this language, even as a pastor. I had four different people this morning already tell me devastating things that are going on in their lives. You know what? I'm powerless to fix them. I can't do anything to change the situations that they told me about this morning. I look at them and I say, man, I'm so sorry you're going through this. Can I pray for you? See, I can't. But I know one who can and I would love to take you into his presence, and I'd love to step in where maybe you are in a place of not having the hope and not having the faith. I'll have the hope and faith with you. Let's pray together right now. Let's join our faith together right now, right? I can't, but God can. God has the power, and so we say, God, I trust you, and, I, and trust, listen, when I say I trust you, I don't just mean that you say I trust you like at 11.14 here on this day in September. I don't even know what today is. I was going to say the day, I'm like, I don't know what today is. It's 26th or something like that. I don't Whatever day of September, it's not a one and done. It's not, God, I trust you. No, it's in 30 minutes saying, God, I trust you. It's in an hour and 17 minutes, God, I trust you. It's continually leaning upon him. God, I can't. I don't have what it takes, but you do. You have the power. And so I'm going to choose to trust in you. I'm going to choose to trust in your compassion and your love and your power. I want to just read one last verse. This is Paul's writing again, and this time it's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. He says this, For God is working in you. That alone is gold. God, the creator of the universe, he is at work inside of you when you don't see it. Some of you, your personality type is you get so impatient. And I'm not talking about impatient with other people. You get so impatient with yourself. Can I just remind you right now, 
God is at work inside of you. He's at work. But look at this. For God is working in you. What is he doing? Giving you, I love this, the desire and the power to do what pleases him. The Holy Spirit is at work inside of you, and he is producing. You don't even see it. You don't even see if this is going on, but he is giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And sometimes I'm at a place, God, I don't even have the desire to do what pleases you right now. Would, would you help me? God, I don't have the power. To, like right now, I want to go off on somebody. I want to say some things that I'm probably going to regret. So would you give me the power right now to do what pleases you? Would you stand this morning? I'm a, I want to invite you in this moment to do, to do something that we don't do every Sunday at Journey, but as I've been praying through the sermon, I just believe that, I believe that we need to physically respond to this. And so maybe you're here this morning and you say, Ken, I need to be reminded of the compassion of God. I've been going through something, maybe you're grieving a loss, or maybe there's just a hurt and you've just been questioning like, the character of God. And, and this morning you just say, I just need to know that God has compassion for me today. Maybe for you it's just, God, I need to be reminded I need to be reminded of God's love for me today. Sometimes we do things in life. We make choices. We make decisions. And, and the lie of the enemy is God doesn't love you anymore. God could never love you after you did fill in the blank. Maybe you just need to be reminded this morning that God loves you. Maybe for you, you need to be reminded of God's power. That when you are powerless, that he is powerful. Full of power. For you. Uh, before I ask you to make any kind of move, I want, I want to set this up by saying this is a no judgment place. I often joke, and it's really only a half truth. Half the people in this room have been in jail, and the other half should have been. Okay? So we're not going to be guilty of self righteousness. No one in here is going, well, I wonder why they're going up there. I wonder what their deal is. You have no idea what their deal is. You're going to have a big, burly, tall, strong guy with tattoos all over his arms, and he might be coming up here because his mom died last week, and he's hurting, and there's a hole in his heart. It's not because he murdered somebody last night. So this is a no judgment. We're, we're just going to celebrate that someone responds to what God is doing inside of them, right? Yes or yes? Okay. I want to set this up this way too. Right now, there's a battle going on inside of a lot of you, and you're like, you're going, I'm not responding to that. Like, you know, you know that in a moment you should come, and what I'm going to ask you to do, just a spoiler alert, I'm going to ask you to come to the front and just stand and make a line, and we're, we're going to pray for you. We're not going to do anything weird. We're not going to push anybody. We're not going to scream at anybody. We're going to gently just come put a hand on your shoulder and just pray with you and believe for you. But some of you, what's going to keep you in a moment from responding, I'll tell you, is pride and fear. So I'm going to ask you, this is going to take a huge step, but I've been praying for you that God would put the desire inside of you and the power inside of you to take a step today. So if that's you, and you know that you need to just experience God's compassion, you need to experience his love, or you need to experience his power this morning, 
for whatever it is that you're going through. Can I invite you right now just to come to the front? First couple is always the weird, awkward, you know, like, is anybody else going to do this? Is it only going to be me? And the next thing you know, there won't be room for everybody that really needs to respond. Young, old students, retired people, moms, dads, if you need to respond, just come right now. God, I need your compassion. I need your love. I need your power for what I'm going through right now. Anybody else? I'll just say, I really believe there's more that are supposed to respond right now. I'm not, I'm not going to try to play that pastor, like, guilt trip thing, and we won't beat this horse longer than it needs to. I don't believe in beating horses, by the way. Just... Anybody else that needs to respond? Listen, we're going we're gonna to be patient at any point. If you need to respond, there's no deadline to this. But now I'm going to ask some people in this room that you have been in a place where you needed the compassion of God, the love of God, the power of God, and God just came through in ways that still is blowing your mind. And out of what the comfort that you received, you now want to help bring comfort to others. Would you just come and guys, would you come up behind some of the guys and ladies behind some of the ladies and just asking you to say, well, what do you want me to do? Just gently put your hand on their shoulder or... Need a few more guys, if you would. Got a gentleman over here that needs someone praying with him. Over on this side. Could have another, another gentleman over here. Do we have uh, someone with all the ladies? Say, okay, what, what am I supposed to pray? And out in the room, you guys are praying too, okay? This isn't a, oh, I don't, I'm not coming forward, so I get to just stare at these people for a little while. We're going to turn, Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. So we're going to practice that for the next... Next three minutes, we're just going to turn this place into a house of prayer. We're just going to believe. Some of you out there in your chairs, you can start praying for maybe you know other people in your life. Maybe you have a sister who's going through something. You have a grandmother who's going through something. You have a child that's going through something. Can we just begin to pray? And we're praying specifically, God, would you bring your comfort? God, would you bring your love? God, would you bring your power? God, would you do what only you can do? In this moment, if you're standing behind someone and you feel comfortable enough maybe even to go around if there's room and just say, hey, is there a way that I can specifically pray for you? That's certainly appropriate too. And, and if someone asks you that and you don't want to share anything, you can just say, I'd rather not. I just need prayer. That's fine as well. But can we, let, let, let's, let's make this a chorus of prayer right now.
you, Jesus. So, Father, we just thank you. God, I, I pray for the person who didn't come for, to the front who desperately needs your compassion, desperately needs to know your love, desperately needs to know your power. God, I pray that as they humble themselves, as they come to the place of saying, God, I'm a sinner, I can't, I don't have what it takes, but God, I believe that you do, and I'm looking to you. Come into my life, do what only you can do, oh God. God, that you hear that honest prayer. We love you, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.